I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 193. And today we are back with another Rut Radio episode in which we are catching up with a handful of hunters from all across the country this week to hear the latest on deer behavior, activity, conditions and the tactics that are working right now in the late season all right welcome to another episode of the wired to hunt podcast and today as we do each week during the hunting season we are here with a rut radio episode in which we are Checking in with a bunch of different hunters across the country to get the latest on deer activity, deer behavior, uh, you know, how different sets of conditions are impacting deer hunting, and then finding out what kind of tactics, what kind of strategies these guys and girls are trying out in the field right now. And uh, it's we're kind of edging into late December almost now, um, getting into the the real tail end of the late season, I suppose, and. Um, I'm sitting over here in Michigan having just one heck of a hunting season here, batting zero on everything I've tried to do. On the other side of the line with me, as he always is for Rut Radio, is Spencer Newharth, who has batted a 1,000. He doesn't seem to miss on any hunt he goes on. And uh, I don't know if you remember this. You know, we've talked recently about all the different ungulates he's killed. He's killed every different hooved, four-legged animal there is out there this season. But uh, earlier this spring, if I'm getting this right, uh, he killed a a state record turkey of some sort. And I'll have I'll have Spencer elaborate on this a bit. So that was in the spring. And then this son of a gun thinks, hey, I've already killed all these other animals this fall. Why not try to kill another turkey? And he goes and kills the number three bird in the state. So Spencer... I, 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 I feel like I just need to like rub on your forehead or something, like figure <laughs> out some way to get your karma to rub off on me. Um, cause every week I feel like I give you the same crap about this happening, whether it be an <laughs> elk or a whitetail or a whatever, a mule deer. Um, so now I don't know. It's, 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 uh, it's absurd, Spencer. It's just absurd. 
but it's amazing. <laughs> so well, what, what exactly did you do here? We'll back up to the spring. Uh, in South Dakota, we're unique, and then we have the three main species of turkeys. We have Rios, Merriams, and Easterns. Uh, and so I think it was it was right around Easter. It might have been Easter Day. Uh, in the spring, I killed the state record Rio Grande turkey with my bow. Uh, it was it was a triple beard and stuff. And then just it was like four days ago, I killed an Eastern with my shotgun, which will be number three in the state for firearms. Easterns and so that was a, a double beard and uh I, they're like once in a lifetime turkeys but especially for someone like myself I'm kind of a lukewarm turkey hunter like I I'm a much better deer hunter I think than I am a turkey hunter uh and I think about whitetails year-round I don't think about turkeys year-round until I have a turkey tag in my pocket and so I almost feel a little bit guilty that I probably don't appreciate these birds like somebody who is a turkey nut would, and it's how someone feels who hunts whitetails really hard and then sees the neighbor who goes out, uh, you know, twice a year in their coveralls and then kills a booner. I feel like that's kind of what's happened here. So these were just uh, very lucky encounters for me to, to get those two turkeys. I, I don't want anyone to come away thinking that like I'm an exceptional turkey hunter. Uh, <laughs> th- this was my fifth turkey of, of 2017, I guess. I, I am proud of that. Uh, but it was just shit chance that they had five minutes <laughs> between the two of them. Yeah, that's that's crazy, man. That's awesome. I'm excited for you. Um, I think there's just a lot of people that listen to this show that don't like you anymore. <laughs> 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 and I'll tell you what, here's the issue is that I've got all these like sponsors of the Wired Hunt podcast and, and I think coming up in 2018, there will be no sponsors related to Mark Kenyon and everyone's <laughs> going to like Spencer Newharth is going to be decked out with brand new camo, new bows, new truck. You're going to have like a new Ram truck and uh, like a UTV from Yamaha and uh, everyone's going to catch on to the fact that you put them down, Spencer. So get ready for a flush of new emails. <laughs> uh, well, they're going to be disappointed because I don't see another Booner next year or <laughs> any more state record turkeys. Well, uh, enjoy it while you got it then, right? <laughs> I will. Well, Mark, you were just in Ohio hunting. Yeah. Uh, I am jealous you still get to do some deer hunting. Uh, so how was that for you? You know, well, as my season goes, uh, there was no tag filled. Um, but, you know, I actually did see a little bit of something of interest to you and to our listeners. Two things, actually. Number one, I saw quite a bit of mature buck activity still on trail camera over the past week. So um, that would be like the 10th through the 18th or something. I had quite a bit of movement on trail camera, including... Three, no, two different mature bucks still moving in daylight. Um, and actually in the morning, I was getting AM daylight pictures. One buck had, uh, if I'm remembering this right, one of the mature bucks, a four-year-old, had him coming through one spot at like uh, probably 45 minutes to an hour after daylight in the morning one day. And then another time, I had another mature buck. Uh, this was the, the day beforehand coming through like two and a half hours after daylight in the morning, which I was kind of surprised by. Lots of times these big bucks are, you know, back to bed very early in the morning in December, but this was not the case. Um, so that was one thing of interest. Now, I will say that that movement coincided with a big cold front hitting, a very cold front um, that, that brought the coolest temperatures of the year yet, I think, for this area. 
Um, so that maybe had something to do with it, possibly. Also, the first snow of the year down there. Not a lot of snow, but a little bit of snow um, right around that same time period. Um, the second thing I noticed, this was on the second day of my hunt down there. Um, I saw a lot of deer activity this evening. Um, and what I think I saw was a fawn that was either in estrus or smelling enough like she was in estrus because I had some like of that second, that second rut activity that you hear about in December sometimes where you get a fawn that's coming into estrus finally, you know, late, um, she's finally mature enough. I think that's what I was seeing because I saw six or seven different bucks all chasing these does around, like bumping does all over the place. There was two bucks fighting. Um, it was like a little rut fest right in this little area. I was watching all these deer start piling in and bucks started coming out of all over the place, all came into the spot where these does were. And, um, this little dofon, wherever she was going, there were these bucks coming. And then after dark, I had another buck coming, and you saw him come across this field, follow the exact trail that doe took, and followed her. I mean, like for three, four hundred yards, I watched him follow the exact path that doe took all the way past my tree stand. Um, so that was an interesting thing to see. Um, I'm not saying that that's absolutely 100% what was going on there. Um, but it sure seemed like that. Um, you usually hear about, you know, this kind of thing happening in early December. Um, if at all, in many cases, you don't see it at all. Um, in this case, it was like December 16th, I think was the night that I saw all this happening. So I don't know what was going on there, but it was an interesting observation. Well, we'll hear a little bit of that secondary rut talk, uh, this week, but primarily a lot of it is about what food sources, uh, to focus on right now. And who we talk to in Minnesota is Mike Fitzgerald with bowhunting.com. And then we go to New Hampshire and from the whitetail factor is Brad Joy. Then we talk to Lindsey Thomas Jr. of QDMA in Georgia. And then we talk to Mike Hunsucker of Heartland Bowhunter in Missouri. Excellent. Well, um, I don't know. I'm excited to hear what's, what we got going on. I I don't know if I'm going to have any good news to share anytime soon. It's just uh, not been uh, in the cards for me this season, but I am going to try to get after some does here soon. Um, so that'll be my next exciting hunt, I think, will be finally, hopefully, putting deer on the ground and putting some meat in the freezer. So look out for that, Spencer. My next exciting story will uh, will hopefully be a big, mature doe soon. Do you have any advice for me? Uh, no. Listen okay. to the pod, listen to Rut Radio. That that's my best advice. There you go. Okay. Well then, uh, then I guess I'm gonna stop talking now. I'm gonna let you keep this show rolling, and I will tune in once it's finished and uh, learn a thing or two about how to actually kill a deer because I'd love to figure that out before the end of 2017. All right. Well, that this should turn things around for you. Then talk to you next week, Mark. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Before we get to our first update, though, let's pause to thank our sponsors at Sitka Gear. And for this week's Sitka story, we're joined by Brett Joy, who tells us about a memorable whitetail hunt that didn't go as planned. Well, Ross and I have had a really challenging season this year, and I think one of the finding moments of that season was an encounter we had with a five- or six-year-old buck in Kentucky that we called K2. Um, I was actually filming Ross and went into a specific area after K2. Um, we hang and hunted right there, and actually we had that deer come straight into the grunt call um, probably an hour after we got there. And he came straight into five yards and stopped, and Ross is a full draw on him. And, uh, you know, in my head, I'm running the camera thinking, this is a done deal. We just, you know, killed Ross's number one hit list buck in Kentucky this year. And I'm sure Ross had similar thoughts in his head. 
and uh, we just needed him to, to turn broadside, and he did turn broadside, and as he did, um, Ross didn't want to take a walking shot, which is totally understandable from my perspective, and he just kind of bet at him real quick to stop him, and the second he heard that, he took off running, and Ross didn't get the shot, and we never ended up killing that deer, so it just shows you, uh, you know, you think you got it all figured out, and you think you got one in the bag, and you know, both the fact or the reality of bow hunting is that that's not the case, and you should never think like that, and um, it's a game of extreme highs and extreme lows, and that was definitely an extreme low for Ross and I that year. On Brett's hunt, he was wearing Sitka's fanatic system. If you'd like to create a Sitka story of your own, or to learn more about Sitka's technical hunting apparel, visit sitkagear.com. All right, and joining me on the line first is Mike Fitzgerald in Minnesota with Bowhunterdie and Bowhunting.com. Now, Mike, in Minnesota, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? Uh, scale 1 to 10, I'd probably say the last couple of weeks, I'd put it probably 5 or 6. Um, it has been slow, but we're starting to see a little bit of maybe secondary rut activity. I was visiting some family down in the Duluth area, and uh, we actually watched a young buck chase a doe right through my brother's backyard. So um, there's there's still a little bit of activity going on, but we're definitely shifting into those late season patterns. Now you live in northern Minnesota in the big woods. What does the wintering ground there look like for deer? And what do those food sources look like as opposed to what they look like back in October or November? Yeah, well, the you know this time of year they uh, we're starting to get snow depths where it's harder for them to paw their way down to the ground. So um, even in areas where there are food plots, uh, the ground's getting frozen, getting harder for them to uh, attain those food sources. So we're starting to switch over to uh, really woody browse. Um, you know, clear cuts are golden this time of year. If you get a three or four year old clear cut, there's a ton of browse in there for them. Um, and then there's usually, uh, along those edges, you get some thick cover too. And so when the cold weather moves through, um, that, that's a great place to be. Now in the big woods, do you see the deer bunch up, uh, as they would in some place like Iowa or Illinois? Uh, yeah, it can be, you know, it can be very, very different in a small geographical area. Um, right where I am, which is just a couple miles south of the town of Ely, uh, we have a bunch of these clear cuts around here. There's a ton of good whitetail habit, a lot of browse for them. Um, but you go 10, 15 miles north of me towards and into the boundary waters, and there's areas that the deer completely vacate during the winter. Um, and then you get some big wintering yards. Um, there's a couple different big wintering yard areas um, nearby here too. And so some of the deer, some of the deer stay put, um, but but there's a number of them that'll that'll completely migrate out of an area for the entire winter. Now, with the big woods hunting bigger than they are, uh, do you have trouble with gun pressure uh, really suppressing the deer movement, or is you don't feel that as much there in northern Minnesota? Um, I wouldn't say it's as much up here. I mean, it, relative to during the bow season, it's uh, it's you know it's definitely an increase. But honestly, in the nine ten years that I've been bow hunting exclusively up here. Um, I've only seen, while I've been out hunting, I've only seen a rifle hunter in the woods probably three times that whole time. So um, I certainly, compared to the vast majority of hunters across our beautiful country, I don't have much to complain about. But it's still, it definitely, it's more pressure than they're they're used to getting. And, and 
a lot of times they can be a lot more susceptible to that pressure too. They, you know, and they, they, they just have a lot of area to roam. So if they have a bad encounter somewhere, they can, you know, just as easily take a half mile route, a different direction to get to wherever they're going. So, but you guys are capable of reaching some really uncomfortable temperatures up there. Uh, how do you think that affects the deer movement when you hit those negatives and, and everything below zero? You know, like uh, any creature, they, they acclimate to um, the temperatures around them. So, you know, late in the winter, it doesn't affect them nearly as much. But this coming week, we have a big cold front moving through. Um, this morning when I woke up, it was 30 degrees. By Tuesday, our high is negative 10. So we got a big cold front. It's going to be the first real deep freeze that we've had for the season. Um, and for those first few, it's kind of like the first snowfall uh, of the season. The very first one, a lot of times, they'll shut down for, you know, a short period of time. Um, so they're going to hold tight. They'll find some thick cover to help keep the wind off of them, to help keep snow off of them, um, and to help maybe retain a little bit of heat. Um, and they'll start betting more on those uh, south-facing slopes so when the sun does come up, they warm quickly, but um, it, it slows it down, but it's only temporary. And like I said, by the, you know, another month from now, we hit those temperatures and they won't think anything of it. Well, you just referenced this coming week. Uh, how do you think that's going to look on a scale of 1 to 10 for buck movement there in northern Minnesota? Um, I'm going to probably say this next week, despite the cold, I'm going to say probably a seven. Um, like I said, we're starting to see a little bit of evidence of maybe a secondary rut going on. And, uh, once they, you know, bunker down, hunker down for that first 24 hours or so of that cold snap, um, it's just going to concentrate their movement following that. So, um, I think it's going to be a good week to get out there and, and fill that freezer. All right, Mike. Well, good luck with those last tags that you have and, uh, good luck staying warm as well. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it, Spencer. Have a good one. All right, and joining me on the line next is Brett Joy out of New Hampshire from Parallel 43 in the Whitetail Factor. Now, Brett, in New Hampshire, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? I'd say it's about a 5. I think it's, it's we're especially in New Hampshire, um, we're in a, an interesting time frame because the deer have been pressured for the better part of six weeks with muzzleloader and rifle season. Um, I will say our season just ended, so um, this may not be super pertinent to this year, but maybe next year or if there's some surrounding states that are still open, uh, might be helpful information. But I think a lot of the surrounding states are in similar situations. The Northeast traditionally has very long gun seasons to the rut that extend into December um, with no break. So I think the, there's kind of three key things here. The first is pressure, is trying to find areas that haven't been pressured um, where the deer are moving uh, naturally and, and, you know, without without that intense pressure. If you can find those areas, um, the, the buck activity is going to be definitely higher. Um, on my property that I have in New Hampshire, I had a uh, few mature bucks using, using that property here at the end of the season and using my food plots, but there was all after dark or, or, or right at dark. So um, I have a lot of gun pressure on that area and that definitely had impact on that movement. So um, if you're hunting pressured areas and you, you can't find any of those pockets that are unpressured, your movement is probably going to be lower than a five. Um, if you can find an unpressured pocket at a good food source, your activity could potentially be higher than five. The other thing that I, I've got some reports on is second rut activity, um, which does occur. And so that kind of throws a curveball into the mix. But the good thing about that is, is I think that most of that centered around 
fed the food patterns anyway. So those bucks are going to be coming to food to check, you know, the fawns that might be coming in for the first time. Um, so if you can, I don't think your your your, um, your strategy will change much. But it's just something to be aware of. You might see some activity. And actually, I just hunted in Ohio this past week, and I see a lot of the same stuff in the Northeast that I do in Ohio. And we saw multiple bucks checking does and coming to food sources, um, following does. Even I saw a big five-year-old deer that I was trying to kill, and he was on a doe. And this was two nights ago. Um, so I've heard similar reports of that. So you can still get some of that daylight activity if you, if you get a buck that's locked on a doe or coming to check on a doe. So that may be a fact that will get them to come come to food uh, in, during daylight, especially if you don't have a, an area that's been highly pressured. Well, let's say hypothetically that you have a tag and uh, there's just a couple days of the season coming up here and you're in the Northeast and you have not been out hunting since maybe like Thanksgiving. What would your setup look like and how did, would it differ from, uh, you know, like three weeks ago versus now if you haven't been out in a while? Um, I would be 100% focused on food sources, um, food and bedding. Uh, bedding may come into account if the deer aren't getting to the food sources during daylight hours. If they aren't doing that, then I'd be trying to backtrack them during bedding. The really, really great thing we have, uh, a lot of the Northeast has right now is snow cover, snowfall. Um, so if you can get to a food source, it may be a hay field, it may be a crop field, um, probably not a crop field if you're in New England, but um, a food plot or uh, an oak flat or an oak ridge or anything, maybe even a, a clear cut that's grown up with, you know, good browse. If you can find that preferred food source, you're going to see a ton of tracks, a ton of droppings in those right in the food source. Um, and if you're not seeing a maybe sit at a night or two, if you're not seeing anything there during daylight, and you know, it's been pressured, I could, I'd backtrack those tracks back to the bedding area, and you're going to find pretty quickly where they're coming from. Uh, this time of year, they're not going to be moving that far um, from food to bed, so it's going to be pretty easy to figure out, I'd say. And if you can get in between uh, the food and bed, you're going to be in good shape. Um, and the closer to bedding on pressured deer, the better. I'd also be watching the wind, obviously, but I'd be very aggressive if I found a deer on a pattern. Um, you don't have much of the season left. Go ahead and after him immediately. Don't wait. This is not a time where you can wait if you, you know, have limited days left and you have a deer on a pattern. So a little bit different situation than maybe if I was in the Midwest where I had several weeks left and, um, you know, ample time to hunt. Well, this year or historically, uh, have you seen much for scry- for sign making in mid December? I do. I do see um, sign making uh, or bucks making sign uh, in December, mid December. Um, traditionally, that's actually been a fairly good time of year to see that. Maybe not as prevalent as late October, but um, our rut in New Hampshire, our primary rut, or our first rut, usually. I won't say it's later than anywhere else, but we see a lot more activity later maybe than some other places. So, you know, it's really hot from Thanksgiving through the first few days of December. Um, so you're going to, we see a lot of sign then. There may be a little lull there, but then you have kind of the does that have come in late and then those, those yearlings coming in mid-December again for the second rut. So they almost kind of run together. So you'll see activity, uh, you know, rut activity as far as sign making rubs and scrapes really through most of December. Uh, obviously that's, can be anecdotal. Not every property is going to have that, but I'm not at all surprised to see, you know, a fresh scrape in the snow or a rub um, with, you know, hemlock uh, shavings on the top of the snow. I find that all the time at December. Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of one to 10? I think it's going to probably remain pretty consistent for the next week or so. Like I said, that second red activity will still be there. Um, It's still going to be of, you know, 
name of the game will be finding food and bed and trying to figure out how they're relating to each other and how they're moving between the two. And obviously weather will help the more snow and the more cold, um, the more of a pattern they're going to be on. And I think the more daylight active they'll be. All right, Brett. Well, great intel and good luck on whatever's left of your season. Thanks for joining me. Great. Thank you. Before we get to our next caller, though, let's pause to thank our sponsors at Whitetail Properties. And this week with Whitetail Properties, we are joined by Dave Skinner, a land specialist out of Kentucky. And Dave is going to be telling us about the advantages of using a land specialist as opposed to shopping for ground on your own. Well, the big thing about uh, Whitetail Properties agents is oh, we're professionals. We're not moonlighters. This is our career. We do it full-time. Um, we are familiar with the area, rules, regulations. Um, we know the deer, deer herds. We're all deer hunters. Um, and just having someone that can walk the walk and talk the talk is, is invaluable. Um, you know, having them there on the ground, uh, to, to evaluate habitat or evaluate, uh, um, crop land or whatever, just having that expert right there that's familiar with the area is so much better than just dealing with, um, with the owner one-on-one just because their primary goal is to sell that piece of property. They don't care if you're taking care of it or not. And that white properties agent is going to make sure that, uh, that you as a buyer are, are being taken care of and, uh, and in the end getting a good deal. If you'd like to learn more and to see the properties that Dave currently has listed for sale, visit whitetailproperties.com backslash Skinner. That's S-K-I-N-N-E-R. All right, and joining us on the line next is Lindsey Thomas Jr. out of Georgia, the Director of Communications with QDMA. Now, Lindsey, in Georgia, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? Uh, Spencer, where I've been over the last two weeks, it's been fairly low, um, like a 2 or 3. We're post-rut at this point in most of the areas of, of, the, of Georgia that I hunt in southeast Georgia, central Georgia, and north Georgia. Um, and it's, um, it's been very low buck activity. Um, yeah, it's been kind of tough actually. Well, Lindsay, how about in the rest of the state? Uh, are there some areas that should be expecting to see some rutting activity soon? Yeah. In Southwest Georgia, the Southwestern corner of the state, it kind of blends in with some of that late rut activity you see in Alabama and into Mississippi. Uh, most folks know that, um, patches of those states see a very late rut often even into January and even February in some areas. So Southwest Georgia uh, fits into that that puzzle and has kind of a December rut. So even right now, as we're speaking, they should be based on all the data I've ever seen on that. You know, the rut should be happening in some of the southwestern Georgia counties. I haven't hunted down there or talked to anyone there this year, but um, they should be right on uh, schedule right about now, or if not, maybe a, you know a little behind the peak of the rut there. But for most of the state, uh, we are well into to post rut at this point for the rest of the state that's in that post rut what are some of the favorite food sources to focus on this time of year you know uh that would be any of the cool season plots that that have been planted for deer particularly the brassicas like rape kale turnips radishes um, which most folks that do food plots know that those leafy green plots uh, tend to become more attractive to deer after they've been hit by a good hard frost and most of the state at this point has had that. Uh, even in South Georgia, uh, where my family's farm is, 
we got some pretty good frost a couple of weeks ago in uh, in late November. It's gotten a little warmer here lately, but those those crops, if you have them, are now coming into the you know pretty well uh, attractive phase. You know, if you planted winter wheat or oats or rye, it'd be the same. If you have standing soybeans you left or standing corn, of course, those are going to be attractive too. Um, another food source right now that deer seem to be turning back to in many areas are any acorn in the red oak family, uh, which would be your southern red oaks, water oaks, laurel oaks, uh, cherry bark oak, things like that. Um, white oaks, of course, as we know, acorns in the white oak family tend to be more attractive to deer and get gone faster. They are gone now, um, and or they are beneath the leaf litter and have germinated, so they're not of interest to deer anymore. But those red oak acorns are still in the ground, still viable. Um, they have not sprouted. They don't sprout till spring. And they keep longer because they have a higher tannic acid level. So now deer are turning to those where they have them. So if you've got uh, water oaks or other red oak species uh, in your hunting area, check those areas out again and see if you aren't seeing some patterns there. With all of these food sources, Spencer, though, the key now is going to be hunting pressure. If these areas that I'm talking about, if you've got brassicas or winter wheat or an area with red oak acorns or whatever that might be, but you've been hunting it all the past several weeks through the rut and everything, um, I really doubt you're going to see much activity in those areas. You, you really need to find some food sources now that have not been hunted or, or areas that have not been hunted because, you know, late season like this, pressure becomes a big factor. Um, I'm, I'm look, you know, basing that on several food plots that I've got uh, cameras and, and been hunting you know, my I've got a Moultrie Mobile out on one food plot that I hunted over the weekend, uh, and and some other friends hunted. No daylight deer activity was seen in those uh, plots that I'm talking about, but I'm getting trail camera pictures as soon as we get in to camp uh, of deer coming in after dark and through the night. So, but those plots were hunted, you know, through hunting season. So again, think back over your historical pressure this season. Try to to you know over these for the rest of the season really. Uh, the pattern should be any food sources you can find that have not already been heavily hunted. Well, Lindsay, there's a lot of theories and a, a lot of lore out there from hunters on the secondary rut. Now, what does science and, and QDMA say about the secondary rut? Yeah, it's it's a real thing. Generally, what it is, Spencer, is doe fawns, those that were born this year, that were born early enough or had good enough resources uh, where they lived to reach a critical body weight uh, during fall and, and even during December. And in the south, that's about 70 pounds on the hoof. In the north, it's more uh, in the range of about 80 pounds. Doe fawns that, again, had the right conditions and were able to hit that body size uh, before we really get into winter will come into estrus for the first time. And it is often late. It doesn't usually happen with the peak of the rut. It's usually in December uh, for areas that normally have a November peak rut. And that can often create a, you know, little flurry of rut activity. Bucks can, you know, even though their testosterone levels might have been beginning to drop off, the presence of those estrus dofons will spike their interest again. Physiologically, they can kind of crank back up. So you might see chasing. Uh, you might hear grunting and vocalizations and does running from bucks and, and bucks even fighting over these dofons. So generally when hunters are seeing that, 
uh, it's not so much a true second rut as it is these doe fawns coming into estrus. You can have adult does that did not get bred on the first cycle coming back in 30 days later, but generally in most areas, buck-to-doe ratios today are, are in pretty good shape, and most of the, quote, second rut that you're seeing is those doe fawns. You know, particularly in areas where you've got good habitat and good herd management, that's, that's what is causing that. All right, Lindsay. Well, good luck on what's left of your season, and thanks for joining me. Spencer, thanks so much. Good luck to you, too. All right, and joining us on the line last is Mike Hunsucker from Heartland Bowhunter in Missouri. Now, Mike, in Missouri, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? Oh, man, it's been pretty, pretty poor, I would say. Uh, maybe a 3, I'd probably say. Yeah, I mean, the main thing this time of year, you know, that we need for buck activity is cold weather. Uh, we got the food. And uh, they're, you know, they're trying to get built back up from the long rut. And, um, but if we don't get the cold weather, the buck activity, at least in daylight, is uh, pretty minimal. So I'm uh, looking forward to some cold weather on the way right now. Well, you just touched on food sources there. Uh, what are some of your favorite food sources to hunt this time of year in Missouri? Uh, really, you know, my favorite food source this time of year is probably corn. Um, we leave a lot of corn standing and it's been five or six years ago, Missouri uh, changed the regulations to where you could, you could manipulate the crop so we can plant corn and then brush hog it down. And uh, that's been a really effective strategy for us, trying to shoot them late season with a bow and arrow. Um, you know, we can we can uh, put up a hay bale blind and put it in the corn. We can mow about, you know, 50 by 50 square. And, and uh, you know, most of you are going to be within bow range. So it's a pretty effective way to, to get them in nice and close late season. Now, have you noticed a change in bedding this time of year as opposed to what it was back mid-November during the rut? Uh, it kind of depends on the area. Um, the, the food sources that do have quality bedding close by, um, the deer seem to be bedding there, you know, not, not moving too terribly far from, from, from those food sources. But um, the food sources where, you know, there's not the great, the, the best bedding due to the, all the foliage being off the trees, they're still still sticking to, you know, some of the tighter, uh, little thicker areas. But, you know, they definitely, this time of year, they definitely prefer to travel less, it seems like. Well, from your social media, it looks like you've been on uh, some doe patrol lately. And on those hunts, have you seen any kind of secondary rutting activity? Um, I've seen a little bit, uh, a little bit of, a little bit of bumping around chasing. Uh, nothing to lead me to think that it was a doe that was in heat for sure. Mainly just, you know, younger bucks messing around. But um, I have on some trail cameras. Um, it's been, I don't know, probably a week or 10 days ago. Um, had a buck that, that was locked down with a doe that wasn't leaving her. Um, and she was, it was actually a fawn, so uh, I'm assuming she was coming in coming into heat for the first time this year, uh, and uh, he was on her, wasn't, uh, wasn't leaving her side. So what weather patterns in particular are you looking for late season like this? Just cold weather in general, or would you like some snow as well and maybe some wind? Yeah, I mean, cold, cold weather is, is the number one thing in my opinion. Um but also, you know, it doesn't hurt to have snow, especially we, uh, we have a lot of standing beans as well. And, and um, you know, anytime you, get, anytime you get a little bit of snow cover, it, it covers up all the other available food sources that's laying on the ground. And so standing crops really get hot that time of year. So, um, you know, it, it, it just depends on what you have available, what food sources. But, uh, yeah, I mean, cold and snow and, and high pressure, uh, you get a combination of all those, and, and uh, it's magical. Uh, you touched on the wind too. The wind is another big thing that that uh, man. It's just it's been been brutal lately for us. We've had some 
you know, decent steady winds and then last light they just die. And then, um, I mean, the deer are so skittish this time of year, you know, everything's loud and crunchy and there's no vegetation and they've been hunted all year. And so, you know, really having a nice steady wind really will help, um, cover up some of that, uh, any, any noises and help just feel, make the deer feel more comfortable for whatever reason, you know, you'd think they would be, um, you know, you think they'd be more calm when it's, when the wind is calm and I can hear really well, but when you have a nice steady 10 mile an hour wind or whatever, that seems to be the, the time when they're, you know, the most, the most calm and they're in their, in their element. Well, I know you still have a buck tag and your wife and, and Sean as well. And with us approaching, you know, the last 30 days of the season, will you do anything really aggressive, like hunting mornings at this point, or will you stick uh, strictly with evenings? Yeah, we don't, I don't mess with mornings really, really much this time of year. Um, I would, if I had, something to, to lead me to believe that I'd, you know, be able to kill a buck in the morning. Um, it's just tough. Like I said, with a short travel from food to bed, um, and a lot of times, you know, they're, they're going back to bed nine before, uh, before daylight. So, um, it just makes it difficult. So, um, don't mess too much with mornings, but as far as getting aggressive, I mean, uh, you know, yeah, we, we definitely, you know, when it gets down to the wire, we try to try to make it count, but, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of times we're relying heavily on trail cameras and just waiting for everything to be right because uh, access is super tough this time of year without bumping deer. So, um, you know, you got to hunt, hunt smarter, not harder. <laughs> well, going forward then this next week or so, Mike, what do you think that buck activity will be on a scale of 1 to 10 in Missouri? Uh, over the next week, I would say it's going to skyrocket. Um, we have our first real solid cold front coming through, looks like. And uh, I'd have to say it's probably going to be probably an 8. Uh, I'd give it a nine or ten if we had a bunch of snow coming, but um, you know, highs in the thirties, lows in the teens, um, all coinciding with Christmas. So we're going to be uh, having to dip out on some Christmas parties and stuff. But <laughs> no, uh, we'll uh, we'll make sure that we uh, do our best to get, get get in the woods and capitalize on the cold front. But hopefully, it's not going to shoot back up. I mean, we've had some, you know, the past couple of weeks, some fifty, sixty degree days on the on a regular basis. I mean, it's just now dropping into the upper forties right now and the sun's been down for about an hour so it's uh it's, it's been unseasonably warm all right mike well i like your optimism and i hope that translates to some tags punch for for heartland bow hunter so thanks for joining me yeah i appreciate it good luck everybody all right before we move on i want to take a quick break here to thank our partners at maven optics for the support of this podcast and also want to let you know about a couple great deals coming from maven for the holidays right now first and foremost Maven is offering, through December 31st, 15% all of their C-Series binoculars. And the new C-Series, which just came out with this year, are their more mid-level price point binocular. And I got a pair of these myself this year. I've been testing them. And i got to say that the quality of optic you're getting is is darn near close, the very top tier that I've ever experienced. But at the same point, you're talking about a price point that is is much more reasonable than you see from almost any other high-end binocular or optic out there. We're talking $300 and change price point for their C1 binocular, which is the one I'm using. So terrific bino, mid-level price point that I think is, is really reasonable. And like I said, right now through December 31st, 
15% off. So definitely check that out if you're in the market for a new Bino this season. And then secondly, free custom upgrades on all of their B and S series optics. So you pay for your frame, you know, the basic binocular, but then all the customizations you want, the custom colors and camo, whatever you want on that Bino, those upgrades are free. So both of these promos are live through December 31st. Check it out at mavenbuilt.com. And that concludes this week's episode of Wired Haunts Raw Radio. I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And this is the last Raw Radio episode of 2017. Now Mark and I will be back at the beginning of January. And we're going to have one episode that kind of recaps the entire season and takes a macro look at uh, the Whitetail year in review. We'd like to thank our sponsors at Sitka, Matthews, Maven, Yeti, Whitetail Properties, Whitetail Institute, Huntera, and Trophy Ridge, and we thank you guys for listening. As always, stay wired to hunt.
So before we move on, let's take a quick second to thank our partners at Whitetail Properties. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. 